Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello and welcome to the War Room Podcast. I'm Colonel Buck Haberichter. I'm an Air Force faculty member here at the U.S. Army War College in the Department of Command, Leadership, and Management and part of the War Room editorial team. This year's Army Strategy Conference, hosted by the Strategic Studies Institute, is centered on the theme of Strategic Leadership 2030, and it looks at the current and future requirements for senior and strategic leadership. We here at the War Room are pleased to partner with SSI and other parts of the War College to bring you several podcasts related to this year's conference. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Rebecca Johnson to the War Room. Dr. Johnson is the Dean of Academics at the U.S. Marine Corps War College, where she has been on the faculty of the Marine Corps University since 2009. Her academic work focuses on developing and maintaining moral fitness. She holds a PhD in government from Georgetown and a Master's of Divinity degree from Wesley Theological Seminary. Dr. Johnson, welcome to Carlisle and welcome to the War Room. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to have you here. So let's just get started right off the bat. Um, Let me ask you this. Tell me about a strategic leader, military or civilian, that uh, you admire the most and why is that? Sure. Well, I think I've got both a military leader and a civilian leader who have really impressed me as I've developed myself over the years. On the military side, there was a a commanding general that I worked with at Marine Corps University who every day, a commanding general, every day would shut his door for an hour to read. So every day he was investing in his own professional development. uh, And he he was reading military books, but he would also read business, physics. Just his intellectual curiosity was impressive. And, and really modeling in an educational environment what it means to commit to continued personal and professional development. And what I also appreciated about him, I was chair of the faculty council while he was the commanding general. And so I had the, um, the dubious honor, a wonderful honor. I appreciated the, the responsibility greatly, um, but was in the, the position of speaking as a voice for the faculty in leadership and command decisions at the university and mimicking on the civilian university side um, a semblance of faculty governance. So it doesn't make any sense in a military hierarchy to have faculty voice and decision making, but it's a a function of our accreditation. And there was a decision um, that had been communicated across the university that didn't have any faculty input, was antithetical to not just faculty interest, but but good teaching, effective Mm -hmm. education. And I had to go to him and say, hey, sir, no. <laughs> I don't know who told you that this was a good idea, but this is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the decision had already been made and communicated. And so he pushed back, respectful, he pushed back. And I had to push back again and say, no, really, sir, you know, these are the implications of this decision. You cannot, you can do whatever you want, sir, but I'm telling you, you can't do this. Right. And he was humble enough to say, okay. And they walked it back and they reopened the decision-making process and incorporated faculty into the decision-making process. And, and we ended up with a, a much better result with more significant faculty engagement and buy-in uh, as a result of that. Good. And so that humility, I think, um, is just key. And then I would say on the civilian side, I worked for an individual. Um, I was, I'm not a foreign service officer, but I worked in a research capacity at the State Department when I was finishing my PhD and worked for somebody in policy and plans, a very senior academic by the name of, of Dr. Richard Ullman. And his steadfastness in the face of everyone else having their hair on fire, 
uh, really demonstrated to me the importance of stability in a senior. You need inner. You need an energetic, strategic, and senior leader, but your people are going to adopt whatever, whatever energy or mindset that that you have as the leader. And if you get frazzled, you're going to frazzle them. Mm-hmm. If you are reactive, they're going to be reactive in a way that is not productive. They're spinning their wheels just just trying to figure out the situation, what's going on. And so the more stable the senior leader is that frees up subordinates to focus on the real issues and not themselves be running around like they've got their hair on fire. It just really helps with focus, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it, funny, there's there's two themes in your first answer that just uh, that stick out to me that we hear on a recurring basis that, you know, obviously successful leaders are very broadly read, mm-hmm. well outside their technical expertise into areas that you would never think of, and they're able to draw those ideas back into their their daily life. The other idea being those that are often not successful are the ones that haven't found any humility. Right. And that, that's a recurring that's theme fair. that we hear on a regular basis as we examine strategic leaders. So, good. Uh, so, one of the key things we, we start with the, in the process for, of the instruction for uh, the War College students this year is uh, the idea that we're moving into a new realm of, of the strategic environment, much different than the tactical and operational. And with that comes new responsibilities as strategic or senior leaders. What, in your mind, separates strategic senior leaders from other types of leadership? You know, I think the biggest is the time horizon. So if you're a strategic leader, you still have direct leadership relationships. You still care about your people and their families and their own personal and professional goals. So all all those things that made you a good company commander, battalion commander, regiment brigade, like all of that is still the same. Mm-hmm. But you're not thinking in a 12-month deployment cycle or even a 24-month command cycle. You're thinking 10, 15, 20 years out because you're thinking about programs, you're shaping manpower, you're really envisioning um, geopolitical trends and how that's going to shape an operating environment. Mm-hmm. And as lieutenant, a captain, a maid, even a lieutenant colonel, you're just not. Mm-hmm. That's that's not your responsibility. You might be thinking about it in an intellectual way. You know, you, you might have your own intellectual curiosity about those issues, but that's not driving your decision making in the way that it does as a strategic leader. So in your observation, what have you seen as the, as the greatest stumbling block for those people transitioning into those strategic leadership roles? Um, I think ego. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's a ego and fear. So let me, maybe I'll, I won't speak about ego. I'll speak about fear. And okay. what I mean by that is by the time you become a strategic leader, man, you are invested. You have been good for decades or you wouldn't be selected for these roles. And so... Um, stumbling block number one, you start to believe the hype, mm-hmm. right? You don't recognize that even though you've got a 20, 30 year track record of excellence, that doesn't mean you're going to thrive in this new environment with mm-hmm. these new challenges. Some people do, some people don't. Um, but two, you somehow start to think you deserve it as opposed to think that, that you still got to hustle, mm-hmm. that you are still working, not just, not to prove yourself. I don't mean it like that, but you're still working to add value every day. That every day you were showing up with responsibilities to an organization that are that are profound in terms of people's li- the number of people's lives you touch, the amount of money that you are governing on behalf of the American people, and and the amount of actual damage that you can inflict on the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty amazing when you think about it, um, and to think that that somehow you deserve it or you're afraid to lose it. Because you think if you do something different, 
your then your career at this point is over. So you're not going to risk it right. when you're a colonel. You're not going to risk it when you're a brigadier general. I think brigadier generals, um, as a collective group, are probably the most fearful group in the entire armed force. Right? Because you're a made man, but but golly, you know, there's still this next step to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and having that courage of conviction and that that continued drive to live a life of service, uh, a lot of people, man, they just lose it. They just don't have it. So I'll, I'll, I'll assume that your instructors and your staff and faculty probably have some sort of discussion along those lines with your students. Absolutely. You wouldn't be yeah. surprised at all to hear that throughout our year we have that discussion with our students as well. And we talk yeah. about those very same themes that you got to be true to who you are to begin with. Right. This is what got you here, but at the same time, it's not going to get you any further forward. Right. So, yeah, it's it, it's it's a common theme, and it's obviously there's there's got to be something true about it if we're all talking about it. So. <laughs> right. Uh, so, it, with in your interaction or, or with your study of different senior leaders, uh, what what qualities stand out most uh, as being the most important to you? Um, I think it's the three that I referenced initially: that okay. curiosity. You need it. I mean, mm-hmm. you've, you've got a, the hallmark of professionalism is a commitment to continued growth. And so if you want to be an effective strategic leader, you have to love learning. It doesn't have to be re- reading, I think, is essential, but it could be watching, listening to podcasts. It could be watching videos or TED, whatever it is, man, you have got to commit to your continued growth. Um, another character or characteristic that I think is essential is not just a commitment to your own professional development, because while that's essential, that's also pretty selfish. You've got to be laser-locked on the development of your subordinates as individuals and as a unit, Mm -hmm. about the cohesion of your units. And that gets more difficult the more senior you get because your span of control grows and and you don't know, you you can reach out and touch anybody you want, but but you don't know people the way you do as a company commander, battalion, squadron commander. Those are kind of the sweet spots, I think, in, in terms of direct leadership. But man, you've got to be invested in them and their own professional growth. I mean, it's so trite, but I really believe it's true. You are only as strong as your people. Mm-hmm. And if you're not committed to them and their professional development, they're going to be professional and they're going to do a good job, but you are but, but you are losing an opportunity and a real sacred. I mean, at the time you become a strategic leader, you have a really sacred opportunity, and I will say responsibility, to really build your team and build those people um, under you. So that, I think, is a critical characteristic, not just your own intellectual curiosity and professional development, but, but really investing in your people to do the same for them. Yeah. Yeah. I'll ask you an unfair question off script real quick. Okay, uh, go for it. Developing the, the individuals that, that, are under, that are beneath you, that are around you, that surround you, mm-hmm. uh, we get into a debate of the idea of stewardship versus mentorship. Do you have any thoughts on that in terms of uh, the differences and what those might be and, and um, what ranks those are associated with? I don't know that I would attach it to rank. I think I, I have a functional distinction, maybe. I think of stewardship of resources and, and personnel or resources in a sort of tacky way. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, but, um, but I would think of stewarding equipment, stewarding money. So no fraud, waste, and abuse. Not spending money you don't have to spend, right? Spend it, our current commanding general would like to say, I spend this money as if it's my own. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, is a good mindset to have. So I think you steward resources. I think you mentor people. Um, the challenge is that mentorship is kind of organic. It's hard. In the Marine Corps, we had a mentorship program mm-hmm. where every Marine was assigned a mentor. I mean, that's just not. And, and we've since gone away from that model because that just ain't effective mentorship, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mentee and the mentor, like, they, they have to connect. Um, 
And so the challenge there is finding that right relationship between the two personalities who have the time and the interest to learn and cultivate from each other, mm -hmm. right? Um, so I, I think it's important, particularly in larger organizations, to have leadership development models that maybe don't rely on, on either approach, but that are, are more programmatic, investment in um, enlisted soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, completing college degrees and, mm -hmm. and having opportun making opportunities and setting, when you set a command climate, articulating that this is important. And so if a particular enlisted service member is taking school that, or going to school that, that you make concessions, that you allow that, you encourage it, that you reward that, you mm -hmm. call out those good behaviors. Um, I don't see that as necessarily being either a mentorship or a stewardship model because it's, it's organizational wide. But um, I think that's that's how I conceive of professional development of subordinates in a larger organization. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take you back to those those concepts you talked about, the idea of curiosity, the idea of developing the bench. Mm -hmm. um, how do you develop that? How, how do you get that those qualities developed in an individual, a potential strategic leader, a senior leader as they're coming up? And, and uh, what sort of deficiencies do you see as being most common in that? Sure. Um, to develop that... There are probably two elements. One is that leaders, as they grow, have that modeled for them. So there's someone senior to them who shows an investment in them and who um, demonstrates or models intellectual curiosity for them. You know, when the CG every day closes his door for an hour because, and you know he's not sleeping because the guy churned through like a book a week. I mean, he was insane. And he would talk about what he was reading. I mean, it was crazy. And I don't care if you read or if you listen to it on Audible. I don't care the mechanism. The idea is that you're feeding your brain, mm -hmm. that you're bringing in not just random information, but, but knowledge that you're cultivating in yourself. Um, so as you grow from a lieutenant to a captain to a major and onward, that, that someone is asking you about what are your plans for a graduate program? What have you read lately? Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, I just saw such an, did you see that article in War on the Rocks? That, that someone is pinging you for those questions. Right. And, and may I tell you what, if you're a lieutenant and a colonel is asking you that, you're going to come up with some answers. You know, you're only going to be caught flat-footed a couple of times before you realize this actually does matter. And so organization-wide, having senior leaders who um, put junior folks kind of on the spot, well, that cultivates in them as they grow more senior, that that is the expectation. Mm -hmm. And so then the cycle starts. And, and that, I think, is how you grow it in a strategic leader is you start investing in them and making the, putting, them, putting that expectation on them when they're very junior. And I think the key point to that is the demonstration aspect of it itself right. because demonstrating those behaviors can be as difficult as practicing those behaviors because you, know, right. you kind of get wrapped up in your own mind of, of trying to get through those things you know you should be doing. Getting out there and appropriately demonstrating it beyond just closing your door. I mean, that's a that's a great point of making the time for it that the the, uh, the general officers are doing. But they've got to be able to engage out there and make sure that right. people understand what it's really about and that it's real. It's not just going through cliff notes. It's it's digesting the information and right. and really understanding it and learning how to apply it in their daily operations. Exactly. Um, you know, I don't I can't speak for the Army, but the Marine Corps physical fitness is. Um, important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a flip way to say it. Uh, but you're going to see general officers PT in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. Like this is an expectation. It is a requirement. And if you're a general officer and you are not hitting a 300 on your PFT, then you're on profile. Like something's wrong, mm -hmm. right? So it's not just Marine Corps officers are more than PT studs, but, but they are PT studs. Mm -hmm. They're going to make time to PT. 
what I'm suggesting is you got to make time to develop your brain the same way that you're making time to develop your body. And if you make that a priority, then it's going to happen. And if you make that a priority as a senior leader, your people are going to also make it a priority because they, they care about what you care about. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about, you know, the next question I have for you is what sort of habits do you want to cultivate? And of course you, you're hitting on all of them already. So I guess the question probably at this point would be, uh, how do you find that balance? So it's easy to say you've got to fit the reading time in, you got to fit the PT time in, you got to get fit the face-to-face time in. There's only 24 hours in a day. There's only seven days in a week. How do you make that happen, and where do you find balance? Because there's more often than not, there's still a family that's at home waiting on you to come back. And yeah. where do you where do you work that all in? And what we most often hear is that you know we have senior leaders come through and tell us that balance is absolutely critical. And the first thing they tell you is that they probably give themselves a D at it. So right. you all need to be better at it. Um, so my research is in the area of, of moral and ethical fitness. So mm-hmm. this is a great segue for me to talk about the work that I do. Um, I look at moral and ethical fitness similarly to physical fitness. And so if you want to grow stronger physically, what do you do? Well, you've got to work your muscles. There's a strength element of it. You've got to feed your body the right sort of thing. There's a, a nutrition piece of it. And then, man, you got to rest. There's a, a rest and recovery piece of it. You're not going to grow strong. If you go to the gym and, and crush yourself every day, you're not going to grow strong. You're going to injure, mm-hmm. right? And so strategic leaders, um, they have to develop that capacity to literally do the physical strength training piece. Like there's a physical fitness piece of it. They've got to do the professional development piece of it. They've got to do the rest and recovery, the connection with family. I have a, a friend of mine who was a soldier, and, and his trinity was faith, family, fitness. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I'm a soldier, and he retired as a special forces colonel a few years ago. And he said, you know, my faith is important to me, and so I'm going to spend time on that. My family is important to me, so I'm, I'm clearly going to spend time on that. And I'm, I'm a special forces officer. Fitness kind of matters. Mm-hmm. You know, i, I got to kind of keep the body in shape. I'm going to spend time on that. Am I going to spend an hour in prayer and be home by 6 o'clock to eat dinner with the family and run 10 miles, all of that every single day? Nah. Uh-uh. That, that ain't going to happen because mm-hmm. I still got a job to do. But maybe I pray for an hour on Monday and I get home at 7 o'clock at night. Maybe I get up early so I lose a little bit of my physical sleep on Tuesday so I can go put that run in mm-hmm. and still get home at 6 o'clock. It's all about trade-offs and, and strategic leader every leader. I mean, you're making a million trade-offs a day. It's just getting comfortable with the fluidity of that discipline. And that sounds oxymoronic, and maybe that's why people struggle with it. You've got to be disciplined, but discipline does not mean full throttle on everything at all times. Disciplined means I'm making a conscious, consistent commitment to something. And just like um, you're not going to train for a marathon by running 26 miles every day in order to get to the marathon, you're going to run and you have a, a running program and maybe you do hills and maybe you do speed work and maybe you lift, you cross train. We have to think of our, prof- the integration of our professional and personal lives, I think, in the same way. And the idea of ethical or moral fitness is how do we build ourselves as whole people in much the same way that we try to build ourselves physically, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in all of that, you know, so that's, that's all outstanding advice and it t- speaks to the idea of discipline and how you can let yourself slide in one area knowing that you're going to pay yourself back mm-hmm. make promises do you, do you have any very practical tools or, or tricks of the trade that you've seen as, as you've observed any senior leaders that, that, that help them get through that beyond just the concept of I'm going to schedule it and therefore it has to be because it's on the calendar 
I have been very impressed with senior leaders who journal and are disciplined in their journaling. And so I've, I've seen a number of folks who will have, at the beginning of a day, they will write their three top goals. Mm -hmm. And then they go and they do that at six o'clock in the morning, whenever they do. And then they go and they work their day. And before they leave at the end of the day, they ask themselves three questions. What did I get done? Like, did I get those three things done? Mm -hmm. Or where am I on them? Like, what's the status update? Where was I effective? So where did I add value? And where did I not? Mm -hmm. You know, where where could I have done better? And I guess the fourth thing, and that fourth thing is, so what am I going to do tomorrow to improve on this thing that I didn't do so well today? And it doesn't have to take. It could be a little five-minute reflection, two minutes at the beginning of the day, five minutes at the end of the day. Uh, at the end of the week, you kind of look back over where you had done for the week. And over time, you can see, when I get slammed with meetings, my PT falls off the way, or I end up eating junk, or I'll, I snapped at my wife. You, you can sort of see the trends about the relationship between what's happening in your schedule and how you're reacting to those, either in terms of maintaining your habits or your personal reactions to them. And recognizing that relationship is very powerful for shaping behavior. Because if you're committed to those goals, I want to be a good wife or husband, I want to be a good service member, I'm, I, want to, I am actually committed to my troops and so I want to take time to develop them. I've got to be an effective leader and that means going to the Pentagon every day even though I hate it, you know, whatever, that, whatever those realities are. If you're committed to the fundamental goals that are behind them that are typically always focused on the people, if you can stay reminded and focused on that and, and recognize the connection between progress in those areas and your own personal well-being, I think that really helps people find balance mm -hmm. because, because they come to see that getting strung out doesn't help them, doesn't help other people, that not PT and getting run down, getting, that, that they're no good in those situations, that mm -hmm. they've got to take care of themselves, they've got to protect their family time, they've, they've got to do those things in order to be effective leaders. And of course, some of that is dependent upon those things we talked about earlier in terms of that, that humility. Right. Uh, that ability to, to honestly assess what's going on and that self-awareness of right. what, you're really what your behavior looks like and how you're affecting the people around you in many cases. So Self-awareness is a, a, an incredibly important, I should have raised that, yes, yeah. key, key factor for a strategic leader is that self-awareness and, um, and willingness to take action, to, mm -hmm. to recognize you're not Superman. Do you have any uh, courseware, any lessons that are specifically geared towards the self-awareness, the, the improvement of, the, the exploration of with, within the uh, curriculum there at the Marine Corps War College? So we piggyback on National Defense University for this. They okay. have what's called EADP, the Executive Assessment Development Program. Mm -hmm. And it's a battery of tests that used to include a 360. I, I think I've heard that the 360 has gone away in the newest iteration they're launching for okay. next year. Um, but what I love about EADP and what the students love is it really is a, a self-assessment of, we talk about it in terms of strengths and weaknesses, but uh, also in terms of comfort areas. There are certain places where it is comfortable for you to lead, and there are certain places or certain, certain ways in which it's not comfortable for you to lead. If you're gonna be a strategic leader, you need to figure out how to grow more comfortable in those places where you're naturally not. And it's mm -hmm. no big deal, you know, different people are different, mm -hmm. but, but strategic leaders gotta be kind of the utility out, like they've got to be able to do it all. And so right. finding themselves um, greater levels of comfort. So what we do is the students take this battery of tests and a number of the faculty members have been certified as coaches. And so we will individually sit down with the students to talk through their responses. And as part of our leadership and ethics course, the students early in the academic year are asked to write a self-development plan 
of, of how they're going to take their results from the EADP and integrate that into their own growth over the course of the year outside of the regular curriculum, what mm-hmm. they're doing on their own time. And students find that pretty valuable. Good. Yeah. That's good. All right. So you have an, an opportunity to influence our legion of listeners out there. Um, what would you include in a professional development program for senior leaders? If you could build something for someone, what, what, what is it you're looking to, to build in that professional development process? I think it's important that people read outside their field. By the time you get to become a strategic, by the time your students are here, they ought to know military history. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, man, that's on them because they've had opportunities before now to study it. They ought to know their craft. This is the opportunity for students um, or, or just your average military professional or national security professional, not even in uniform. When I think of professional development, I think of broadening your sight picture because as you grow more senior, that aperture naturally widens and you got to be ready for it. And so it's not just military reading or national security reading. It's what's going on in sociology. What are the, what are the demographic trends? What's going on in global financial markets and how is that going to affect U.S. foreign policy and national security policy? So if I were to develop a, a professional development program for a senior leader, it would it would have a pretty wide view. I would want them reading The Economist as well as the New York Review of Books, which I think is a, if you don't read the New York Review of Books, man, you need to read the New York Review of Books. (laughs) For the podcast people, I'm literally staring at the microphone as if you can see me looking at the mic. I'm speaking to you right now. The New York Review of Books. Why? Because it is so much more than the cliff notes. Mm -hmm. They take leaders in their respective fields reviewing books that are pretty significant books across disciplines. And so you get a fantastic analysis of contemporary events and a really good understanding and a brief, I mean, they're they're journal articles Mm -hmm. uh, of contemporary writing that's really important. Okay, you can't talk about reading that much without giving me one book you think all strategic leaders should be reading right now. Hands down, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, okay. I love it. So for those who don't know, Viktor Frankl um, survived the Holocaust. Uh, He was a concentration camp survivor as well as a psychiatrist. And Man's Search for Meaning is his look at, at what it takes to live through hell and why it is that some people were able to endure the difficulties of a concentration camp and why others just wouldn't. And he said, you know, you could tell when people had given up that, that it, he, he would say that, that there wasn't anything noticeably different except you could just see that they were done. And he said within days they would die. They'd catch a cold or something and they would just Mm -hmm. die. But he said that those people who found meaning in love, so the idea that their wife might still be alive somewhere or a child or something, they loved something, people who found meaning in beauty and not a lot of art in concentration camps, but but they could see the beauty in a flower, beauty in a sunset, that there was an ideal that they could hold as having value um, because everything else around them was horrible. Mm-hmm. Or, or people like Frankel, who had medical training, they could find their meaning in service to other people. That, that people who found meaning and were able to create meaning out of this horrific experience, that they were the survivors. And what I find is so powerful about that is we live pretty lush lives in 2018 in the United States. I mean, there are people who live in abject poverty. I'm not discounting the pain of some Americans. Mm-hmm. But most folks who are listening to this podcast We're pretty lucky relative Mm -hmm. to significant portions of the globe. And we can lose sight of of what it means to ground our lives in something that matters. 
and it doesn't have to be life of service. That's a significant meaning, and, and military folks here have dedicated their lives, national security professionals dedicate their lives to lives of service. But, but committing to love and connecting to love of family or friend or whomever, really connecting to beauty and understanding the importance and the value of beauty and particularly the idea of beauty, it's, it's a little foreign to what we tend to pay attention to in a military context. But again, opening our, our aperture to, to really appreciate something that is different. So that book, I think, is just profoundly important in grounding us in what matters. And there's always going to be another book on China or Russia. And yes, we should stay on top of those things. I'm not saying we should not. Right. But, if, but something that is foundationally important to what it means to being a human and a whole human and living a complete and, and whole human life, mm-hmm. Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Okay. Well, Love it. to the list. All right. So for those of our listeners that are not fortunate enough to be here for the Strategy Conference, any last thoughts on Strategic Leadership 2030 that you'd like to leave them with? I felt a bit of a disconnect this morning when people were talking about AI and, and computerized decision-making at the strategic level. I think the study of AI is important, and the application, the use of AI is not just important. I mean, it's here. We're doing it already. This is not future 12 years from now. This is today we've incorporated AI. Um, but I also feel maybe I'm just a little old school. I don't feel like strategic leadership 12 years from now is fundamentally going to differ from strategic leadership today. Mm-hmm. I think the foundational elements are the same, that that you've got to understand your craft you have got to be a good warfighter i mean that means in 2018 or 2030 or 20 you got to be a good joint warfighter mm-hmm. and joint warfighting not just in the context of um folks in different shades of uniform but a broad understanding of joint warfighting that includes our interagency partners and a combined warfighter that includes our allies you got to do that now but but i cannot conceive of a fight that we're going to fight in 2030 that doesn't include civilian government agencies and and military allies and international government that's just important Mm -hmm. right so again i don't i don't know that i see on the strategic leadership piece in terms of the issues that are going to come at us in terms of the maybe the rapid response rate that we're going to have to do to deal with those issues those things might change Mm -hmm. but fundamentally i don't see a big difference in strategic leadership i tend to agree Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come see us. Uh, we appreciate having you at the Strategy Conference itself, and we really appreciate you taking time to sit down and do the podcast with us today. So we wish you all the best, and good luck as you head out of here. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.